Welcome. Welcome back. It's Jokerman. And we have a guest. And uh, this guest is a fellow podcaster. Uh, and that's the only thing we have in common because he actually is paid to um, talk about music. And we uh, are, it's the opposite. We beg We're for also money. paid to talk about music at this point, just by 70 people on Patreon. But, uh, you know, <laughs> we're getting there. 71, Ian. Don't sell us short. Oh, right. Yeah. But who's counting? I'm Evan, by the way. Uh, this is uh, Jokerman. I think I already made that clear. Our <laughs> guest, though, th- our guest is Stephen Hyden. Whoa. How you doing? I'm good. I'm uh, thrilled to be here. Uh, I feel like uh, I- I've seen your podcast pop up on my feed multiple times. I, I feel like I know people that have been on the show already. So uh, I'm excited to finally be on myself hell yeah yeah we've got uh we've got folks from all over some like vaguely kind of coagulated twitter scene tyler wilcox steve gunn the Sam bob Prince. dylan online community is what you're referring to I think. yes yes, yes the, yeah the, the the bob dylan twitter verse exactly uh, uh yeah which i'm you, which i'm happy to be a part of you you uh are i think it's safe to say a larger part of the constellation of the grateful dead online community because that's the one that's the path that you chose in terms of the um, of the podcaster's way and i have to say i'm a i'm a huge fan of your podcast 36 from the vault uh all about dick's picks and the the ones that dick picked um and uh i i i think it's probably like my favorite music podcast actually i, I wow I love, I love to listen thank to you it. Well, thank you very much. Yeah, I mean, uh, th- th- that's very nice of you to say. I mean, I don't know if I'm, I guess I'm technically bigger on the Grateful Dead Twitterverse, but um, Bob Dylan is my number one guy. So if I could have my own Jokerman podcast, <laughs> that, that that's my dream. Uh, eventually, maybe I'll get there. Uh, we did do a Bob Dylan episode recently of 36 from the Vault, That's which right. was really fun. On uh, bootleg, uh, bootleg 4, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah which w- was... What a show. Yeah. And it was the most um, F-bombs I ever dropped yeah. <laughs> on a podcast. I was very passionate about that show. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, God bless you guys for having a great... For, for having a Bob Dylan podcast. I mean, there's, I know there's like lots of other Bob Dylan podcasts, but as far as I'm concerned, this is the only Bob Dylan podcast. That's what we like Ooh. to hear. All the other ones, <laughs> I, you know, I guess they exist, but I can't confirm it. I actually also can't confirm that either. Um, <laughs> you know, it's yeah. like Schrodinger's cat. Like, I, you know, I just, they, I know I've, I've heard of them. I see them, but you know, do they exist when I'm not looking at them? That sort of thing. Right, exactly. I, I wanted to point out, we, we were talking about t-shirts a second ago. You have a very cool War on Drugs t-shirt. And I have, yes. I, I, could, I wanted to do an homage, so I'm I'm wearing a Grateful Dead t-shirt and a Bob Dylan hat. Damn. Oh, look at you. I've got this this uh, Save the Rainforest style one. That's and, pretty cool. Um, That's beautiful. And so you're like, uh, you're sort of like 1987 right now. This is like a Dylan and the Dead. I was just right. going to ask. Yeah, you're, you're here to talk about your your extremely extensive list of uh, of studio recordings of Bob's. But one thing that didn't make it on there is Dylan and the Dead. Uh, right. The, uh, the classic 1989 live album. Uh, can we just get a quick 
30 second take on that one from you as a someone square in the middle of the Venn diagram of Bob and the dead. You know, I mean, I'm a fan of that record. It, it, it's obviously, it has a terrible reputation. I think generally, um, you know, it wasn't well reviewed when it came out. And I feel like both dead fans and Dylan fans tend to, uh, you know, speak ill of Dylan in the dead, but I mean, I'm, I'm a fan of that record. I, I like, uh, you know, I, I'm really intrigued by how um, Dylan and the Dead seem to lock into like the slow train coming material mm-hmm. really strongly, you know, because like on that record, like slow train is really good. Gotta serve somebody is really good. Like, I, I feel like those are like maybe the two strongest tracks yep. on that record. Um, and of course, there's the uh, famous bootleg of their rehearsals. Uh, it's like a like a six disc uh, bootleg. That's actually like really great. Um, I was just looking at a live album at Bob at Bob and the Grateful Dead bootlegs just like a few minutes ago. One of my favorite things and our favorite things to do on the show is to just sort of talk about the um, plethora of Bob Dylan bootlegs, which are just uniquely fascinating because like these are things made by people who probably bought a computer for the sole purpose of doing this. Uh, and so this one, it, this one blew me away. It's, it's, it says Bob Dylan, oh, yeah. the Grateful Dead, I'll be your Robert today. <laughs> um, they, just the, really, the, really amazing wordplay there. They just always have an, a preternatural talent for titling these, uh, these collections. It's, it's really uncanny. Absolutely sweet California. That's one of the exactly. best ones. Have you seen that? Um, there's like on YouTube. There's I don't know if it's the whole concert, but it's like Dylan and the Dead. I think it's from Oakland, and like Bob is wearing like uh, he has like a do rag on, and uh, he looks like really tan mm-hmm. and like kind of mm-hmm. ripped. And, uh, and the a- is this um, with the aviators. Yeah, yeah. I think this was on and the cover of like what's the um the big dead zine um like one of those big it was like like the premier Grateful Dead zine I forget what it was called but he was on the cover of it for this and it he had that like that look that you're describing. He had a really fascinating image during that entire year. A lot of vests and like, yeah, very kind of like gangly looking thing, but also like strangely defined, like with a mus- muscle tone. It was a, a real, yeah. a real interesting period of time. For and I mean, that kind of spills over from like the, uh, you know, the Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers era too, right. like where right. he was showing a lot of arms. And I, I just feel like, you know, there was something with Bob where he was competing with Bruce Springsteen. Like, I think he felt like he had to like get really ripped and really tan because right. Bruce was really ripped during the born in the USA tour. I mean that, that I think that's a, a good point, but we just watched Ronaldo and Clara and I'm starting to think maybe Bruce was ripping off Bob because that happened first, right? Like the, the, the rolling thunder era where Bob that's where Bob's first started taking off the sleeves and then Bruce, Bruce happened to just look better. So then it's like a cyclical competition thing of like who's got better sinewy arms. Well, it's like House of the Rising Sun where Bob and Bob steals that from Ran, Van Ronk initially. And then uh, and then it ends up uh, seeming like he um, uh, uh, he stole it from the animals after that version gets big. So uh, it all it all ends up working out in the end. 
I like the idea of like Bruce Springsteen, uh, you know, seeing Ronaldo and Clara and like taking notes and being like, <laughs> gotta lose the sleeves. This is how you be a rock star. <laughs> gotta start pumping iron here. Yeah, that, that's a good, it, it's like a literal arms race yeah. between Bob and Bruce. <laughs> in the 70s and 80s Uh, well uh i think we should uh we should dive in there there that famous podcaster phrases once again dive in uh before too much longer because we've got uh we've got a long list to get through here this evening uh uh as as some of our listeners may or may not know uh you steven recently published a definitive ranking of uh all of the bob dylan studio albums from 1 to 39 these are canonical takes that no one can argue with. Uh, wow. <laughs> I won't argue. Actually, I will say that I would never call my own list canonical or canonical, <laughs> whatever how you pronounce it. Um, because even, I think I even say this in my piece that if I had written that in a different week, I think I would have had different rankings. I mean, I, I, I feel like that's something that's very unique about Bob Dylan's discography that, um, I mean, you, you could probably say that like the albums at the top are pretty much settled up there. But Locked like if in. you're talking, if you're talking about like anything after, say, like 10 or 11, things are constantly shifting. And I know for me personally, there's always albums that I feel like I liked at one or actually I, I should say there's albums I didn't like at one time. And then I ended up loving. Right. You know, five or 10 years later. So I I mean, I say this at the top, there's no, like, even the Bob Dylan albums, I would say are bad. Like, I love those albums too. Like, I love, like, I think I had mm-hmm. like Down in the Groove last on my list and I still love Down in the Groove. Um, and I wouldn't say that about any other artist discography. I mean, Dylan is very unique for me in that regard. Absolutely. That's the great thing about uh, Bob's discography. There is no bad Bob record. Even the bad ones are in fact good. Yeah, they're always fascinating. Exactly. Is what is the first on the list? Are we going from worst to best? Yeah, we'll go. Here? We'll go worst to best. We'll we'll go worst to best because I think we can, uh, you know, kind of. Did move. I spoil it already? Did is I it spoil? down in the groove? You didn't. It isn't down in the groove. Okay. See, this is the great thing about doing this now uh, with me having the list in front of me, but you not having it in front of you. I can <laughs> surprise you with your own list. Last place on your list, 39, Knocked Out Loaded, 1986. Oh, that's what I meant to say. I meant to say (laughs) Knocked Out Loaded. Yeah, because Down in the Groove is actually a record that um, I have a lot of affection for, for some of the bizarre things that are going on, especially in the liner notes of that record, like people that play on that record. Yeah, that's you're right, though. (laughs) I did put (laughs) Knocked Out Loaded at number 39. Those are like the two dueling dragons of like shitty album that people kind of... uh, will toss back and forth as like, which one is the worst? I know we've done that quite a bit. Um, I mean, which one is better? <laughs> I want to be positive <laughs> here. Um, I mean, Knocked Out Loaded has Brownsville Girls. So Brownsville I feel like Girl alone, I think, it puts it, puts surely it does. down in the groove for me. But um, the thing about even Brownsville Girl is that, if see, for me, I think the way I justified putting it at number 39 was like, like Danville Girl, I think, is like your, the superior yeah. version new, new of, of Brownsville Girl. Girl. Yeah. So you know, like you're, you know, if you're digging into the into the bootlegs, you think like, well, the original version of that is better than that. And mm. I think just the sound of Knocked Out Loaded um, is so terrible. I mean, like, <laughs> yeah, it really is. 
I mean, like, like on my list, I think I had down in the groove at like you got it at 30, 33. 33. So like I put like the um the standards albums um below uh down in the groove because right. those are those those albums um I still had not figured out. Right. And and I feel like this is a big thing with Bob Dylan is that um it's not that he has bad albums. He has albums that you haven't figured out yet. And the standards albums I haven't accessed. Like I can put them on and there's moments on there that I think are really lovely. But by and large, I, 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 I'm really bored by those albums. I'll, yeah. I'll tell you that I, uh, it's, it's such a treat when you finally, those uh, pieces in your brain uh, click into place that make you enjoy it or the pieces in your brain break that make you enjoy it because um, I've been enjoying those for years now uh, for some reason. <laughs> Even triplicate? You know, triplicate is one that uh, I recently got on vinyl and then and only then realized that each disc has its own name. And mm-hmm. so I think that that is a helpful way to enjoy that record because if you try to listen to it front to back, it's a slog. But if you listen to each disc, I think it uh, holds together a little bit better on it on those terms. Um, I will say Shadows in the Night, I think, is like the strongest altogether of those three albums but um, right i would agree with that and if it was just shadows of the night i would be like okay i really appreciate this as a as an experiment departure but then to put out like essentially like 50 songs i mean once i got into it it was just like keep it up just give me more (laughs) keep it coming (laughs) see i think I think for me, like the, the, the take I have on it now, like what kind of unlocked it for me, and we should also move it along on the list. 38, Christmas in the Heart, you know, it's a Christmas record. It's fun. Uh, but then, yeah, 37, 36, 35, we have Triple Kit, Fallen Angel, Shadow in the Night, Shadows in the Night. For me, they're, they're really band kind of records. I think by this time, moment in time, Bob was enjoying playing with his mm-hmm. band so much that like he, even though he didn't have new songs that he had written that he needed to record, he just wanted to get into the studio with his guys and cut these tracks and produce them and make them sound like technically perfect kind of, you know, um, uh, musical artifacts from 60, 70 years prior. Um, so they kind of exist for me like as these, like the, 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 the most kind of band focused material Bob has ever put out. Someone who obviously has spurned really um, precise studio um, kind of work in the past and also has obviously just worked alone as a, as a uh, as a lone dog with kind of hired guns for many years throughout his career. Yeah, I mean, I would say that for me, like my appreciation of those records is that um, I think what he did as a vocalist on those albums really pays off when you get to rough and rowdy ways. Right, where right. His voice sounds really great, and the and- the band too. I think the sound is informed uh, on rough and rowdy ways a little bit by this. Um, really tasteful uh, restraint and control that you hear come through on those albums. I, I feel like uh, we, we've talked about this many times on the podcast, but there are periods in Dylan's career where some kind of um, like pause happens where he goes away from making original material. Or yeah, he, does, like a right. he does a sidestep and then comes totally. back with like his batteries recharged and uh if, it, if that's what it takes to give you, you know, a, a rough and rowdy, like, you know, you need to like j- exactly the same thing as he did with um, World Gone Wrong and uh, Good As I've Been to Good You. Good As I've Been to You. Yeah. I, it, 
I wrote about that in my piece. I th- that's totally right that he does go. It's like every twenty years or something. And you could, in a way, you could also. It's not the exact same thing, but um, you, you know, like when he went through his period in like the late '60s, like where he kind of went through this uh, period, like uh, like the self portrait era, right? Like right. where he's doing all these like covers and like it was very mellow, and he was sort of experimenting with all this different stuff, and then he ended up eventually recharging and you know, going into the seventies, I think it's a similar period. And I love, uh, as good as I bet to you, and especially world gone wrong. I think those are really great records. Um, you know, again, all I could say is I think one way I, I approached this list that was, you know, if you were to like, give me all the Dylan records and you were to say like, which one do you want to listen to? like the standards records would be among the last ones I'd want to listen to, but like, I appreciate what they are in this catalog. And uh, I definitely feel like there will be a moment in my life where I'll become obsessed with those records. Oh, you mean I'll in the, the, the September, the, the September of your years? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> yes, exactly. Well and done. I'll be like, and I'll be like, triplicate is like a top five Bob Dylan record. You know, like <laughs> I, I know I'll have that phase. At, at some point which is again like the, the greatest thing about um bob dylan because uh i don't think he's ever made an uninteresting record exactly Mm-mm. you know like the christmas record which we kind of skipped over right it's a fascinating record and i think that there's probably layers of genius to that record that i have not accessed yet but i will in 10 years well have you seen the video for uh must be santa because that'll that'll access it right away of course of course of course and you know and i mean the idea of that record i think is brilliant i Mm -hmm. mean you know and there's so many things that dylan has done that i love the idea of even if i don't actually like love the actual thing right but the idea of it is fantastic i mean it's just you know i mean that photo of him that recently was published like in the what was that the daily sun or whatever like where he was going to the hardware store you right where he's just out, out and about yeah in santa monica yeah like yeah the, the, like that photo i feel like is a great album you know like i i, I love the idea of that <laughs> yeah. you know i mean this is this, this guy you know who knows maybe that'll pawn stars is a great fucking gesture I'd... how did you find me here i knew you were doing a show and i just figured i'd walk around until i found you oh <laughs> well, that's a, that's i got lucky <laughs> I guess so, yeah. that's a great moment in television history yeah so <laughs> you know there's there's so many things i mean like with bob I've, I've definitely learned that you never say anything that he does is bad because whenever i've done that He's embarrassed me exactly. like five years up, later. Yep. And ends up coming you know, back at you. You're like, oh, Street Legal, not a very good album. And then I'm like, oh, actually, it's like a top 10 record for me. Turns Spoiler out. alert. I don't want to spoil my own list, <laughs> but, you know, there's, there's so many things like that with, with Bob Dylan. Let us Absolutely. move along on the list. Yeah, then. We'll move along here. Uh, ones that maybe aren't uh, quite as um, uh, a little more interesting than they are uh, good. Uh, 34, Under the Red Sky. 33, Down in the Groove. 32, Together Through Life. Uh, any any comments on any of those? Yeah, I mean, um, 
it's interesting like uh i don't know how much you well, obviously you probably have read a lot of clinton halen if you were on our previous episode or last week we just talked yeah. to uh john simley about the latest clinton halen biography oh really uh-huh. yep. <laughs> because I, one of uh i mean i know there's like a lot of uh di- diverging opinions about clinton halen i i tend to appreciate him as a scholar and also as like a character in his own books right as like as like a curmudgeonly uh, contrarian uh, in his own books and one of my I think my favorite contrarian opinion of his is that under the red sky is better than time out of mind like <laughs> oh shit like, like he loves he loves under the red sky that's a pretty badass take I gotta say yeah, yeah I mean it's like you know god bless you that's you a know, very joker men podcast style take yeah. <laughs> um, which you know and I think I think the art, I mean, there's other people, I mean, like Robert Crisco really liked that record. I think mm-hmm. he liked it more than Oh Mercy. I think he's, I think if you read his review, he, Crisco's yeah. review, he said it was like the best album, Dylan album since uh, Blood on the Tracks. Blood on the Tracks. <laughs> yeah, so he, so he thought it was better than Ring Oh Mercy. Ring the bell. <laughs> ding, ding, yeah. ding, ding. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, which is like the most perverse sort of like evocation of the phrase best says blood on the track. I believe he even uh, he defended saying. wiggle wiggle, I think. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, this, I, I mean, I think the argument in favor of that record is that like, you know, this is like Bob Dylan loosening up and mm-hmm. having a good time, um, which, you know, you can make that argument. And another argument you could make is that like Bob Dylan was not doing especially inspired at the time and was sort of, you know, dicking around with like very expensive, uh, you know, guest stars, and you know, there's something about Don and was, Slash Don, and was Don was yeah. and Elton yeah. John and Bruce Hornsby and George Harrison. There's something about Don was too. I, I maybe we should just blame Don was for that record because I feel like Don was has a track record for um, you know bringing out the worst and like classic rockers. Uh, you know, he kind of had like a good run in the '80s, like with Bonnie Raitt. A few other people, but I don't know. I think by ninety, there was something going on where he was past his peak and was not really bringing out the best in people. There was one thing that I saw uh, on one of these, like it was a great like talking head, like British uh, documentary about uh, like the later period Dylan stuff, and um, it might have even been Chris Gow, but uh, somebody was saying about uh, Under the Red Sky that they liked it because their uh, take on it was like that they knew Dylan had just had a child, his daughter, and that a lot of the material was kind of like inspired by, you know, this sort of childlike sensibility. Right. right. And so I think that that is like a more like uh, if you're going to give, you know, a generous reading of the record, that's that's a pretty sweet way to to approach it. Yeah. See, I like that you have also watched those uh low rent documentaries on amazon Prime oh i love that where, shit where yeah it, it's like all these british people talking about uh bob dylan i yeah. think that's like is that like bob humphreys or something there, there's like a, this like 25 minutes stri- like it goes through all the records and each one is just like a lead up and then they all say like it was a disappointment after each one right it's like it's all, a straight it's hour like and a half weird, it's like this weird stock footage where it's like weird animation like i remember like for the wiggle wiggle part it's like weird 
like old time cartoons playing behind that because they don't really have like access to like actual footage of people (laughs) um but yeah there's so many of those documentaries on amazon prime and i've seen them all like probably five or six times it's good stuff Uh, yeah because if you're up late at night and uh, you can't sleep it's like oh yeah i want to watch a documentary about bob dylan's output from you know uh, 1974 to 1982. Okay, I'll watch that on Amazon Prime. <laughs> the every, as everyone knows, uh, the primo years. Exactly. I, I I feel like the only people that watch those documentaries are listeners to your podcast. So it, probably, and that includes me too. So that, that's spectacular. <laughs> listeners and or guests. <laughs> uh, let's uh, let's keep rolling along here. Uh, 31 Dylan 73. 30, Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid. 29, here's one where I think uh, Evan might have a little bit to say here. 29, uh, the great 2012 record, Tempest. Yeah. Well, do you want to talk about Tempest? Well, I we should you- start with, D- yeah, Dylan, and then what was the second one? We had Dylan, 73, Pat Garrett, and Tempest. Okay, so Dylan I- we can just not talk about because it's n- it's not an official Bob Dylan record, and we can just <laughs> ignore it completely. Well, it was, though, but it's part of his discussion. See, to me, that's an interesting record because I feel like for a long time, like when I was a kid reading, uh, you know, Rolling Stone record guide, that was considered like the worst Bob Dylan record because right. it was it was considered this record that was put out because he had left Columbia, Columbia Records for asylum. For, for asylum and it was like a revenge record and it was like you know these outtakes from like the self portrait revenge era. porn yeah yeah and it, has the, release... and it has like a pretty ugly <laughs> album cover um, but I don't know I feel like that record in a way, and I made this case on my list, has been rehabilitated by that, which I think is, in many ways, maybe the most momentous bootleg series release, or like one of the most momentous, the uh, Another Self-Portrait I have to agree. Uh, release. It's great. Which, uh, which I, I really think made people look at that 69 to 71 era in a different way. I mean, I think for, again, like when I first got into Dylan, people looked at that as like this desert of mediocrity. And now I think people look at it as, um, you know, like that he made a lot of beautiful music. As as a cool desert, as a cool desert with cactuses and cool little lizards. Yeah. Or, I mean, you know, and I made this case in my list that in a way it's like another basement tapes era. Only now he's working with like great studio musicians instead right. of the band. And, you know, he's like being really playful and doing all these covers and uh, going into different music forms and all that. And um, I think, I think that 73 Dylan record has like a lot of really lovely songs on it. Uh, I think Spanish is a loving tongue is on mm-hmm. that record. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. Ballad of uh, Ira I'm Hayes. A big fan of, yeah, Ira Hayes on there is fantastic. You know, I, I think that I speak for Ian as well when I say that um, as as much as we've like been really harsh about that record, I think it's just because it's like, you know, Dylan himself like wasn't involved, which is like admittedly, you know, kind of just like a, it is like kind of a stupid and like bratty uh, reason not to like it. But um, it's, it's not bad. And it, Actually, going back to something we talked about on a couple episodes back, there's a factor uh, called the put the put it on factor, mm, mm-hmm, which a lot mm-hmm. of uh, records in Dylan's discography have. Some have it, some don't. Uh, I think Dylan 73 is one you can put on. 
And sure. by this, I mean, you can just put it on, you know? Put it on. Lily of the West. Everyone's just, like, vibing. They're having a good time. Mixed company. Nobody's going to say, like, hey, ch- shut this off. Yeah, I mean, I think, um, just in terms of, like, listenability, I would rather put that on than, uh, you know, uh, again, Knocked Out Loaded. I mean, if, <laughs> yeah. if, if Knocked Out Loaded was Dylan signing off on it, as opposed to this record he didn't sign off on, yeah. well, you know, I'd rather listen uh, to Dylan 73. I think it's it's a much more listenable record. Yeah, the dulcet tones of uh, Drifting Too Far From Shore. <laughs> you know, <laughs> The children's uh, choir. Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, which... It, yeah, you and you look at the cover of Dylan seventy three as being really ugly, but it's like, well, Dylan signed off on like even uglier covers. Than, right. I think the Matt. cover of Dylan seventy three is actually kind of sick. Like it's that cool. weird, like like turquoise kind of tie dye <laughs> like silhouette of him. It's it's pretty cool. But I feel like you know because it looks kind of psychedelic. I in a way I feel like Columbia was trolling him a little bit just because yeah. Dylan hates psychedelic stuff so much. Right. That there was maybe an element of like, okay, let's let's really you know, stick the needle stick in well, here. The biggest yeah. troll there is that it's called Dylan. I feel like if the record was called anything else, then it wouldn't be nearly as derided. But the fact that it's called Dylan is just like such a fucking, that's, that's. Yeah, of all the records in this man's discography, this is the one that has earned the, the right to just be titled his well, adopted last name. Yeah. Because it most accurately speaks to the entirety of his personality. Well, and I think too that at the time, and you could say the same thing probably about self-portrait is that at the time it was more offensive because people had certain expectations of what a Bob Dylan album was and right, they certainly right. did not live up to it. And in 73, you know, that, I mean, it was a pretty fallow time for him, uh, you know, creatively. I mean, like right before like this great explosion that he's, that he's about to have. Sure. So, I mean, I probably compounded the negative reaction to it but you know like we're 50 years on now from that so like when we go back and listen to these records we don't have that baggage uh that they had 1973 and i think now um you know when i put it on i just think it's like a charming record i mean i i i put that on and i'm like i just enjoy this album I and mean, there's nothing on there really that i don't like you know as opposed again to like some of these albums like on the lower levels of my list uh you know which i don't you know again like the standards records which i appreciate for what they are but i'd rather hear dylan 73 you're a rock like, guy Stephen hyden uh, this is something that is public knowledge you're you like rock and roll music and you don't you don't uh, well, dylan write... 73 is not especially rockin well though. it's I mean, much it's more rockin than you know listen to like the, uh there's a flaw well, in my flu or like yeah, yeah. uh well 30 like some 30 enchanted evening yeah which and again like i don't want to just take shots at the standards records but if you just done one record of that i think that would have been sure it's not for everyone story the interview he did around that was literally an aarp like it's not necessarily <laughs> for uh people who are like uh, under a certain age it's it's for the or blue a hairs certain, like or or a certain pulse level yeah. you know right I, yeah i mean i think if yeah, I've never listened to that record on Downers. I think if I did, that would be a different story. Like if I just, uh, you know, took like pain medication or something. I think that there's a downer you can a take much- uh, to enjoy that record. It's called Aging Forty Years. 
<laughs> but staying on to the year 1973, the next uh, record is is the other 1973 release by Dylan. Pat Garrett. And that's Pat Garrett yeah. and Billy the Kid. Yeah. And do you like uh, this movie? And, and how does that relate to... Okay. I love the movie. I, I'm sure that enhances my love of the record. Yeah. Um, One I mean, all-time great track on the record, obviously, uh, Turkey Chase, that we're all familiar with. And I mean, I, I love, I love you know, um, loose and ragged Bob Dylan. And, you know, and he's playing with a lot of old friends on that record. Um, and it sounds pretty jammy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I like that aspect of it. I mean, it's definitely a mood piece. I mean, as and a movie I, I mean, soundtrack. I, I mean, I don't know how you guys feel about that record, but, um, you know, it's definitely something you can put on at dusk and it is incredibly effective. You know, it's very evocative. And uh, I just love the sound of it. And I mean, obviously, Knocking on Heaven's Door is an all time uh, great Dylan track, but, you know, like songs like Billy and. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of the other tracks on there i mean to me in a way it has a similar vibe to nashville skyline Hmm. um i think it's a great companion piece to that and i i'm i find that i'm really charmed by it these days it's like kind of king of the put it on albums in in a sense like you can just um really vibe to it so effortlessly and it's got i think you know uh a sort of sophisticated uh, execution for like, it's, it's cool to see Dylan do a soundtrack and to right. step away from the mic a bit. Um, it's it, kind of unique in that way. Yeah. I mean, I wrote this in my piece, but you know, like, I mean, Bob Dylan obviously is so uh, praised as a lyricist and that's how he's regarded, you know, first and foremost, like how people, parse his work but i think he's underrated as like a as a music guy and as a as a melody guy and right. one thing i appreciate about pat garrett and ability of the kid is that it's pretty much all about his music it's all about melody there's very like little words on there and um i think it works I th- and i think it's a good showcase for that i mean i think it is a really melodic record uh you know and what people that are, would be critical of dylan's music uh, you know, him as a musician would, you know, they always talk about how his music is repetitive and, uh, you know, and he's not, you know, certainly not as inventive as like some of the great, you know, musical people in rock history or in any other genre. But I don't know. I, to me, that record really works well on that level. And, and, and I do love the film, you know, Sam Peckinpah. I'm a big Peckinpah fan. Um, and okay. I, I love the idea. I have a peck head and I love the idea of, you know, Dylan being his Ennio Morricone, you know, for a record. I think for he one, actually pulls yeah. it off, uh, pulls it off pretty well. So are we, are one of you guys like a Tempest fan? Like, do Evan, one of you feel like, feel we, like that should have been higher? We put together <clears throat> our own lists and then we average them together to create our master, uh, you know, Jokerman list to compare it against yours. Uh, Evan had Tempest ranked at number two. <laughs> what? <laughs> it's true. <laughs> Your number two album, like yeah. of like all yeah. Dylan records of all of them. Yeah, uh, you know, in my top ten, obviously that includes all of the ones you would expect to be in a top ten. But Tempest is also in there, um, <laughs> right, right behind the number one. 
I mean, like, I'm not sure how old you are. I'm 26. But, like, you're 26. So that came out, like, when you were in high school. Right, you, yeah. You were in middle school. So, like, high that was school, probably... Yeah. So that was probably like like a big Dylan record for you, like when you were getting into Dylan. It was one of the first ones that I, you know, purchased because I thought I saw, you know, new Bob Dylan album. Wow. Like a this was a big deal. But uh even even despite that, I mean I I always was like into it, but I think in the last um almost ten years or however long it's been, I've just like keep coming back to it. And and I guess the main thing, just like to sum it up quickly, is just that I I keep thinking to myself, like, well, is there a song I think isn't good on here? No. Is it interesting? Even the like, Titanic song? Oh, especially. I have to say T- that Tempest the song is especially a song. it's great. And and <laughs> I think that that one is, is one that was really easily um, it was the butt of a lot of jokes for a long time. But right. I, I would just recommend uh, you and the listeners to if you if you still feel that way, just to give it another shot. Cause, uh, it's the, the Titanic did really happen, you know? <laughs> and, and I think that, uh, a thing that can help, um, that, that helped me to just kind of like realize the profundity or at least the ambition of that song in particular was, uh, Bob Dylan's Nobel prize speech where he goes really into like the, the, uh, horrors of World War Two uh, or World War One, rather, uh, when he's talking about All Quiet on the Western Front, mm-hmm. and he talks a lot about war and uh, and and human misery and tragedy, and I think that that song is is really um, of a piece with like any other song that he has about uh, any big tragic topic, and uh, it's kind of a great. It's like an, a metaphor that's so obvious that it, it almost seems silly. And it, it took me a while to not see it that way. I mean, you know, I wouldn't dispute that. I mean, and I totally understand your affection for that record. I mean, I made a similar case in my piece for Time Out of Mind because that record came out around the time that I was your age when uh, Tempest came out for you. Like, it came out when I was about uh like 19 or 20 so that was like the first great bob dylan record that came out when i was paying attention right to dylan and um so it had special significance for me um that is like oh wow like this isn't just a guy that put out great records before i was born that uh or before i cared about him that mm-hmm. he's still making great records now so i think and that's one of the great things about bob dylan is that he's been he has such a huge catalog that you know everyone has their different entry 60 points. years worth of people have had that yeah. same experience another thing yeah. though about tempest uh i think that i was really into the dylan records i was into the most at that time that tempest came out were like blonde on blonde and like bringing it all back home so i think i was partly really and i was aware of like time out of mind and all that other stuff but I think that what I liked and was really what made me want to like Tempest a lot was feeling like it was the first time. I, I still think it kind of stands out as like a record that has more in common with the weird, like the surrealism and fantasy aspects of those mid '60s records than, say, uh, Love and Theft or or Modern Times. It it really seems to like 
the a listener described it really well recently calling that record a um medieval spaghetti western mm-hmm. right yeah i mean to me i feel like tempest is like a rough draft for rough and rowdy ways where like because there's a lot of like, like the violence in those songs, the vulgarity in those vulgarity songs. Vulgarity for sure. Yeah. The temp, you know, you talk about Tempest. I feel like that is like a rough draft for Murder Most Fire. Right. It's a you similar know, like where, th- type of like, thing. Like, like, like what he's trying to do in Tempest, like, I don't think he quite nails it, but he nails it in Murder Most Fire. I, I just think of it as like a pop. It's like more the pop, popier, or I don't know, pop, like saying it's a pop record is ridiculous. But <laughs> it's a, it's got <laughs> the blo- thirteen minute pop song it's about got, the Titanic. It's got pay and blood on it. You know, it's like a little right. bit more of like a, a the most punk rock song of the entire 2010s. Well, I love. I mean, the song for me from Tempest is Ten Angel. Oh wow, my favorite song on that record. Which Ten I Angel. Think so is you you like weird the weirdest one. one. <laughs> Yeah, well, to me, that's you. Know, you talk about the, sp- the spaghetti western. Oh yeah, like, for to sure. To me, that's that's like their Cohen brother. That that's like his Cohen brother song. It's like this like bloody revenge mm. song. I see that. I see that. Um, and it to me, it's very gripping story that uh, just unfolds in that song. And and to me, like the like the the bloody aspect of that record is what i find most compelling about it mm-hmm. it is like the you know the, the narratives on that record are really uh it's very old testament very violent uh it's funny that you mentioned love and theft i actually feel like love and theft is his mid-60s bob dylan record made in the 21st century mm-hmm. certainly like musically just because of the humor in that record oh yeah and also yeah. and also because that record um is his most like rock and roll record sure. of like the last it's got 20 summer years. days and those i mean yeah lonesome day blues honest well, with me right yeah. which is like one thing i'm you know like i love um rough and ready ways that i like tempest. parts of tempest i mean tempest has like it's a more a chamber pop it has like a almost a gothic feeling which uh i guess i just i like that it's like his um the cast mccombs record uh wits end it's got that kind of like right. very uh, you know, spread out like cathedral like quality in some ways. It just feels like it's kind of like a luxury piece rather than a, um, yeah, just like rock record or not a put it on record. No, no, <laughs> not a put it on record. Well, we should probably keep rolling because we've got quite a few more okay. records on this list and we are already Sorry cool to 42 minutes derail in. us or have us hit an iceberg. <laughs> ah, well done. <laughs> what do we got next? 28, Good As I've Been to You. 27, Saved. 26, Empire Burlesque. 25, World Gone Wrong. Any any quick hits on any of those, Stephen? Yeah, I mean, we touched on these a little bit ago about the uh, early 90s records. Um which are both in this range. And yep. I mean, like this is really getting into the range, like where, you know, and I said this before that I think that the records at the top for me are probably pretty entrenched, but like, you know, like 10 through 30 are like always moving around. You can and, mix them and uh, match them. Yeah. And like I, and I like all those records quite a bit and I could probably put them in a different place if I made this list on a different day. Um, I mean, Save to me is another record that I feel like is, um, you know, consistently put at the bottom of his discography. You know, I I think recently there's been this, um, 
revisionism with his Christian period, which I think is warranted. I mean, I, I really like his Christian period a lot. Absolutely. Um, although I think Saved is the record that kind of gets the shaft. I mean, there's a lot of people that love Soul Train coming. A lot of people will stand up for a shot of love, uh, but Saved, uh, you know, kind of gets dismissed. And I don't really understand that. I, I feel like Saved in a lot of ways is an extension of uh slow train coming there's some wonderful songs on save like covenant woman and uh like uh what can i do for you what what can i do for you the best the harmonica solo of his career possibly on what and can i do who for can you? forget pressing on really like one of his pressing on greatest songs as far as i'm mm-hmm. concerned yeah i mean it's it's a really good record um and if you watch those low rent but very watchable documentaries on amazon prime with all the british people they really take a dump on well they hate god they they hate uh jesus it's a a godless island (laughs) so you know which is a which is a drag but i mean you know that's a record that i would encourage people to check out if they feel like it hasn't you know like if they've been told that it's not very good i think that album absolutely uh deserves reconsideration um yeah and along with those two folk records in the early 90s uh like you guys were saying i think that's an absolutely crucial period for him where uh you know he was at a i mean maybe at his lowest point in his career like early 90s i mean he was not very i mean i remember dylan at that time i was uh you know i was in um I was a teenager at that time. And it was really interesting because in the nineties you had, you know, Neil Young. Was, yeah. That was like around the same time that Neil Young became like a cool guy again. Right. And, well, like, and he was putting out great records. He put out Ragged Glory. He put out Harvest Moon. Harvest Moon. Yeah. Uh, Streets with Angels. You know, you had Tom Petty uh, was doing, you know, he was like a pop star. He put out, you know, Wildflowers and uh, Full Moon Fever. Uh, uh, Springsteen wasn't doing very well at that time, but um, you know, like there were other like some of his contemporaries were uh, pretty well regarded, and Dylan I think was looked at as you know being dried up, and then he puts up these uh, records where he's not writing any songs, um, but they're pretty wonderful records, and it it showed that he still had the power, you know, thirty years after his uh, you know initial folk run. He could like hold people's attention just by playing an acoustic guitar, and I mean, not even really playing harmonica all that much on those records, um, you know. But that he could hold people's attention. I mean, those records like are really absorbing. Yeah, you know, yeah, they, they, they really draw you in, especially "World Gone Wrong." Um, with you know, "Blood in My Eyes." Oh, that his uh, version recording. of "Blood on My Eyes" is like he really transforms the the song. I mean, I've heard the original. And that's like a great example of a cover that is just like, he just makes it really, he makes it sing. That's like such a great arrangement. And then his liner notes too are great. Oh yeah, they're, yes. they're wild you know, on that one. For people that, you know, to encourage people to buy physical media, which I always want to do, it's worth it to buy that just to read the liner notes. He has a great joke about the never ending tour where, <laughs> you know, he's like listing, he has all these like fake, tour names for like the never ending tour right uh which is great you know it's always great like when you see bob dylan be self-aware about himself uh you know and his mythology 
you know, so to see him make a joke about the never-ending tour and the lining out the world gone wrong is uh, pretty wild. He's uh, he's paying attention just as much as all of us freaks. Uh, he's probably paying on, more got... attention, Ian, because he's Bob. <laughs> it's I guess his life. Yeah. Well, there's this thing too, like where you know, like Bob Dylan, like reads his own press, like pretty obsessively. You know? Oh he's yeah. Like, <laughs> you know, going back to the early sixties. <laughs> you know, and I mean, you see that in uh, "Don't Look Back." I mean, he's like always reading. The music papers, the newspapers, yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, it, it, it's uh, I don't know. I mean, people have always been trying to figure out Bob Dylan. I always like the idea that Bob Dylan is uh, actually not this postmodern prankster at all. That he's actually extremely basic, and that we all <laughs> just project all this stuff onto him. But that at heart, he's just like a midwestern guy you know like a midwestern baby boomer i mean you do, you, do you ever listen to a theme time radio hour because oh yeah i've been listening a lot to it lately because some saint put them like all on youtube and it really does change uh one's perspective a little bit to hear him um just kind of, you hear that you hear him just be a guy who happens to be bob dylan right it's crazy it's like so yeah, I mean, cool yeah, and like, you know, on some level, he's just the guy that, uh, you know, he, like, he likes Jimmy Buffett songs, you know, he likes right. uh, Gordon Lightfoot songs, mm-hmm. you know, like his favorite songwriters are, tend to be craftsmen, not like these sort of very sophisticated uh, poets. You know, poets, you know, he likes people that just like write like a good tune. Yeah, the material uh, being good, just like, a, yeah. it has that sort of country uh perspective almost on on like well is it a good song is the material any good like right yeah he writes a good song and you know maybe he's not he maybe he's purposely not shouting out people that you would expect again like it's the mind games that you can always play with him but right yeah um, what what dimension of chess is he actually playing is it is it one one dimensional chess or is it eight dimensional right but i i tend to think that he's just uh a fan of uh of songs and, and like the craft, the craftsmanship of songs. And I think he probably appreciates people that just can follow those norms much more than he ever could. I think that he, he likes to do, yeah, with his own work and with the stuff he likes, it seems like he's a big into people who do uh, make stuff that's more than the sum of its parts. Like that seems to be a constant. He's not somebody who likes experimental music. He likes people right. who can make something that feels bigger than like three chords and a few lyrics. Right. Right. Uh, what do we got next? Uh, 24, Bob Dylan, 1962. Very first. Uh, 23, Self-Portrait. Here's where we're starting to jump all over the, bo- the board here. Uh, 22, Modern Times. And 21, Shot of Love. What do you got yeah. for us there? I feel like this is where it gets controversial. I don't right. know if you have any kind if, if, if you're, I mean, this is like where people started to get upset with me. I feel like uh, <laughs> has what, anybody did, been what, mad? What did, what did people get pissed about? I don't know. Actually, I felt like the response was pretty, uh, was pretty good. I think people see, cause to me, honestly, I don't care about the rankings, right? Like w- when I do these lists, it's an excuse just to write it late, to pump out 10,000 words about 39 Bob Dylan records. Yeah. Because like if, if I were to write 10,000 words on Bob Dylan's work as a narrative, maybe, you know, a fraction of the people would read it. But if you put like numbers next to the paragraphs, right. 
then people a lot more people read it and it's more compelling uh so Life you know, hack. Not, turn not, everything not, into a listicle not to give the game away but like i mean that, that really is true um we read it because exactly i mean it, but um it's interesting with that first record i don't know how you guys feel about that but um we like it, you know. I think it's it, fun, you know. Baby, let me good. fall you down is great, uh, and there's a couple other kind of fun covers on there. Highway 51 is a lot of fun, uh, but Just, it's it's more. Kind baby, of you're like, no uh, good. Is that on there? I think so. And that's pure, um, pure fun. I mean, just the gap between that and freewheeling is right. like it's so, so incredible. extraordinary. The, the leap that he takes in like what eleven months, something like that. Yeah, and I don't know. I mean, I it's got to be the biggest leap from the first to the second record in rock history i can't really think of anything that compares to that uh because by his second record obviously he's writing some of his most famous songs ever and 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 that first record i guess other than house of the rising sun and uh the song to woody's on that record obviously i mean there's some things that have uh endured from that first record but for the most part i mean that the it's not really a substantial part of his legacy at all. Yeah. Yeah. I think if you yeah. ask most people like casual kind of Bob fans, like what's the first Bob Dylan record, they'd say, Oh, it's free wheeling. It's the one with blown in the wind at, uh, at the beginning. Like that, that first one is kind of memory hold. Right. Uh, so, and then modern times, I know like a lot of people feel like modern times is better than uh, love and theft which I don't agree with. You're just with. splitting I, hairs if you do yeah, that. I'm, I'm with you on that. We're, we're big Modern Times fans uh, here on this program, but even still, I think Love and Theft is a is definitely a like, significantly superior record. I mean, we'll get to it later. That's a record that really leapt up for me as I was working on hmm. this. Like I Just revisiting Love and Theft, and uh, I was really blown away by that album. It has yeah. a timeless quality that uh, is pretty unique amongst the, even those as good as Modern Times is. Love and Theft just kind of feels like it's on its own level somehow. Yeah, and like just him. To me, I think I really love it because I mean, the songs are great. But like uh, when I was seeing Bob a lot was late 90s early aughts that was like when i was that was basically where it was like if he is within 100 or 200 miles of me i will go see him how many times have you seen him i've seen him about 15 times damn jealous um 14 more than i have (laughs) like most of those times were in that era because and he he was touring a lot in that band i think uh, yeah, the early two thousands and uh, incarnation of the band. Larry, yeah, Larry Campbell, Charlie Sexton, like that lineup. Yep. Uh, was I mean that's like, I mean maybe other than uh, the band and like the late you know sixty six band. Right. Maybe not even not even before the flood era band. Yeah, like I mean, the I, Hawks, the band. The Hawks, yeah, that might be his best band, um, and. Uh, so I was seeing them all the time and like that, that era is just really captured really well yeah. Yeah. on that record. So I think I, I respond to that too. Just the sound of it is like so good. Uh, but I don't know. We're talking, <laughs> we haven't gotten to love it that yet, <laughs> but yeah, Modern Times is great though. Like I, I, I mean, I'm a fan of that record. I know a lot of people 
would rank it higher than maybe we would. It sounds like you guys are maybe on the same page as me. Uh, I would rank it yeah. pretty high. I mean, but I, 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 I feel the same way. Although it's it's one that is relatively newer to me and compared to a lot of these other ones. I think I only I think got into it absolutely... in the last year. I, there's just some absolutely fascinating songs on that record, like Nettie Moore. I Nettie think Moore is, is amazing. The, like just like oh, yeah. the most spectacular songs and she's ever written. When the deal goes down is one of the most mm-hmm. beautiful songs that's great. I can think of. I mean, I love "Ain't Talking." I think yep. yeah. that, that that's that's a great Ter- song. Working Levy, Man's Blues. Levy, Working Man's Blues, fantastic song. When when Levy breaks, another yeah, it's well yeah, we're big modern times folks here. I mean, I think if there's a if I was to make a criticism of modern times, is that like musically it's starting to get like a little like he's recycling a lot of a like, other people other people's music where mm-hmm. i mean love and theft is also certainly working in a lot of blues music forms as well but um i don't know i think modern times again this is like a minor criticism of it i would say like it's not as dynamic musically for me as like some of his other records, from this yeah. Time. The, so, the like, changes on a little, a little Love and Theft has like a little bit more in in terms of peaks and valleys. Like you've got po- Poor Boy or Po Boy and uh, fucking uh, what's what's that like banger with like the disco beat? Uh, honest with me, yeah. Honest with me. Oh yeah, yeah. You're so all over yeah. the place on Love and Theft from Twiddly and like Sugar and, Baby, um, Sugar Baby, right. Mississippi, which is great. Moonlight. It's yeah. It's it's and so his all voice, over the place. His voice sounds great on there. I mean, it. I mean, we didn't really talk about this with Tempest. His voice is like pretty rough on Tempest. I feel like well, which I'm I kind of like. Well, I don't think so, right? <laughs> well, I don't think it's. A, I mean, it, he makes it work for the songs because again, it's like this very bloody Old Testament record. So like his like the frog in his throat works but it is interesting to compare that record to rough and rowdy ways because i think uh one of the revelations of rough and rowdy ways is just like how great his voice sounds oh, yeah. he could he record. could make his voice sound good at any time is is like the revelation of that album it's like wow <laughs> I mean, you could have done this i don't i mean i he definitely went through because again like i i went through this period where i saw him a lot and then i stopped because i feel like uh live it got more boring mm-hmm. at some mm-hmm. point and and i will say that like when he started playing the keyboard versus the guitar for a period of time like that i wasn't like digging 2003 that. 2004 something right yeah yeah i think yeah it was around there and and i do think that i because i saw him in 2019 and and i saw him actually uh before that it was I, I there was probably about a six or seven year break where i didn't see him and then i saw him again he was touring with willie nelson i think that was like 17 or 18 mm-hmm. it, it was like when he was touring with, for one of the standards records and i thought that was really good and then the 2019 tour i thought was great that was like the first that was like the best he had been for me mm-hmm. since like the early aughts and uh and i think he, those standards records like if i'm if i'm gonna make a defense of them i would say like singing those songs revitalized his his voice yeah i think that he did go through this period where his voice did not sound very good right and i think his i I, to me like he, he sounds a lot better like in the last few years than he did in like 
maybe the early 2010s. Yeah, from yeah, the right. uh, like together through life up through Tempest kind of era. Yeah, it sounds rougher, and uh, you know, I don't know. Is that on purpose? <laughs> to be intentionally sound rougher? I tend, I don't know. Who knows? But I, I, I tend to think if if he was doing it on purpose, I don't think it was serving his songs. Yeah, mm-hmm. Bob Dylan knows exactly when to quit smoking and start smoking again, so that it's actually <laughs> good for you. <laughs> and so sometimes you hear that in the records. So 20, next chunk. Uh, we got another side, 1964. One of the ones we just talked about on Patreon. Uh, Planet Waves, 74, New Morning, 1970. What do you got for us there? Yeah, I mean, again, this is like where it really becomes like a crapshoot right. with, with, with rankings. I know people, a lot of people put another side of Bob Dylan in their top 10. I always feel like with that, right? That's like probably like my least favorite of his 60s albums. Yeah, I think you have it exactly uh, in the right spot. Like it doesn't belong in the top 10, but it also doesn't belong in the bottom 10. I mean, there's obviously wonderful songs on that record. I always feel like it's not the best performances of those record of, of those songs necessarily. Right. I mean, it was like cut- recorded in one night. Yeah, it's one not day, like he exactly. labored over trying to get the best take. It was just like... Right. And, and I will say too that like Ballad in Plain D is a song I think is like pretty hateful. Pretty rough. I'm not a big fan of that song. I, I find it fascinating from an autobiographical standpoint. And you know, just, just, I mean, it's an example of, of Dylan writing in a pretty direct autobiographical uh, point of view. And, uh, it just doesn't put him in the best light, really, and it's yeah. not—it's just—it's just like not, not a great song, and it's super long. <laughs> so eight, eight minutes of this twenty-three-year-old whining brat whinging about his ex-girlfriend's sister and mother. It's a little bit yeah. like reading a seventeen-year-old's <laughs> diary. Yeah, exactly. Right, but and, at the and, same time, Ramona is—I mean—one of his all-timers. So he was—he was clearly operating on a pretty, you know, pretty high level. That, yeah, parts I mean, of that record. My back pages, times of freedom, right? Uh, you know, it ain't me. yeah. There's some obviously some wonderful songs on that record. Um, I know people uh, really love New Morning too, and I do uh, too. Uh, I, I think that's a great record. Uh, that's sort of a Jokerman meme. Uh, New Morning, we're 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 perhaps uh, um, we should talk about we, the the three star system, I guess, just really briefly. Right, yeah. So we, we uh, uh, you know, Pitchfork gives everything a rating of 1 to 100. Uh, we have a very scientific system of three. Uh, records either get one star, two stars, or three stars. Uh, New Morning is a one-star record from both of us. We are, oh, really? Uh, we are anti-New Morning. We are pro-self-portrait, anti-New Morning, as far as the 1970 releases. And as far as the oh, no three kidding. stars go, I mean, yeah. No kidding. People get really uh... mad, really pissed. <laughs> um. I mean, I, I mean, well, that's funny because I feel like with most people with this list, I have to justify putting it at 18 because they think it should be higher. Whereas you guys would probably say it's too high yeah, on my would. list. Um, <laughs> I think, uh, I mean, I, I, I mean, from a pure sort of production standpoint or a sound standpoint, it's kind of the ideal sounding Bob Dylan record. I mean, it, it, it like, uh, I mean, the man in me, We, I just want to, in our defense, perfect song. Can't say anything anything bad about like, it. 
but you also have like if not for you and like Day of the Locust. Dogs, and if like, dogs run free and um But even that song, I I, I, I like the goofiness of that song. Winterlude. But like do you are you like those again, if if you if you have like your throw it on test, New Morning I think is like one of the most what, what? throw it onable records of his catalog. I mean it just it goes down extremely easy. With vocal takes that we think could be better, I think New Morning is the king for me. I think that that vocal take particularly is just like so... Um, I like the New idea... Morning song. Yeah, yeah. About. I like the idea yeah. of the song New Morning, but something about that take just feels so flat. And um, the the other thing is... Uh, I, I This is like probably my hottest take on here is... Uh, Sign on the window, I just feel is like him trying to sound like Randy Newman and failing. Oh man. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't think Bob Dylan was sweating Randy Newman in nineteen seventy. No, Maybe but he was in like I mean, you look something. at what Randy was doing in like the late sixties, like he's like I think it's going to rain today and um and uh, so and living without you and these like great piano based songs that and then you listen to Sign on the Window and it's kind of like, um, I don't know. I, this is something that nobody agrees with me about, but I'll bring it up again to get yelled at. So, <laughs> yeah, I, think- I mean, I mean, Bob was I mean, but he was writing piano stuff well before New Morning and well before Randy Newman. So, I, you know, it's true. I I appreciate I, I'm not gonna get mad at that take. I appreciate it, but Someone you know, will. I don't know. I think, um, I mean, I love that era. I love that '69 to '71 era, and obviously, we didn't really talk about Self Portrait yet. Great record. I, mean, I, I had that at, at 23, mm-hmm. which I thought was kind of a. Uh, I, I, again, that was a record for a long time. You know, along with doing '73, um, and like saved. You know those. That was like a default, like worst Bob Dylan record. Yeah, what is ever. this shit in the immortal words of Rolling yeah. Stone magazine? <laughs> or you know, like I, you know, like when I first started learning about music, I would read the Rolling Stone record guide, and I think they gave it like zero stars. Right. Um, and it was similar to the Dylan '73 record. It was all about sort of projecting this idea that like Bob Dylan didn't care. You know, and, and with Dylan '73, it's easier because he didn't have a hand in putting that together. But there's this like idea of intent. You know, and that like, and even Dylan himself, I think, said at one point that he intentionally put out self-portrait as like a shitty record. Yeah, it's a it's like a troll, I guess, in some way. Yeah. And 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 there is funny things on there, like the boxer. You know, I think is a pretty hilarious. <laughs> That's a uniquely thing. pretty cool one, though, to listen to because you hear the crooner or not like the country crooning Dylan voice doing like a dueling harmony thing with like a more classic sounding Dylan. It's right. it's all, kind Very of weird. Awesome. And he's also probably fucking with Paul Simon too. Right. Like right. you know, so it's like, it's like on both <laughs> levels. You can appreciate it on multiple levels. I mean, I love. So, so again, this, these are records that I think people reacted against in the, t- in the in the moment because there was this idea for a long time that a new Bob Dylan record has to change the world, or right. at least has to change music. And with Self Portrait, it seemed like what he was really trying to do is be like, I just want to make I'm, music. I'm I just like wanna, I said kind of want to fuck around a little bit mm-hmm. and you know people couldn't accept that from him and, and of course new, Mo- 
and New Morning comes out, of course, is like his makeup record that's in a, a way for yeah. That's exactly why I think I'm so pro self portrait and, and so anti New Morning, yeah, because self portrait feels like a, a record that Bob made for Bob. Like that's a record that he wanted to make at that time, and the New Morning feels like exactly an apology, what yeah, here. like an apology record, something that but he's like, making up. He's making up for his sins, like his like like scraped it together to be like, all right, here's like a, a real Bob Dylan record here's to hold you for over, you hogs. Yeah, so. but like, and, and you were kind of like making fun of this, but it still has songs like "If Dogs Run Free" on it. It still has songs like "Winterlude" on it. It still yeah. has like it still has some perverse songs on there that are kind of goofy and 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 weird. You know, he's not just totally making like the slick pop record with new morning. I wish he had though. If he was going to do like a makeup for self portrait, I wish he had just gone full like birds mode and just tried to be as like cute. Exactly. Yeah. But like he did have, but he kind of does everything on that record. He does have man and me, which is like one of his great pop songs. He does have, True. if not for you, which is a song that I literally played at my own wedding. That's <laughs> uh, a great did you play song. The Bob version. Or did you play the George version? Well, we had someone play. Oh, we, okay. didn't, we didn't, we didn't play the record. We had someone play it, but okay. um, you know, there are just totally accessible songs on there. I mean, to me, like, especially if you listen to, you know, the, another self portrait, all those songs get mixed together. Right. Right. And, and, and they work as a piece. I think that in my own mind, I think of that as all being one period, one really, continuous kind of era where it was a more laid back and more playful period uh, for him. So I don't know. I All, all totally a, valid a, reasons to like new morning, but I, I mean, it's I, a great record. The, I, you guys are on your own. I think we are, we uh, are a little bit outside this. because I think we just like what you were just saying. Think of the thing we like about self portrait and sort of like hold against uh, new morning is that yes, this is a big period of time where all these songs are kind of like, they, it could have been mixed around and put on any number of different kinds of records. Whereas self-portrait is kind of cool in that it simply reflects that reality by being just like, here's a a potpourri, just like here's just like some a big old grab bag. Whereas like I don't like seeing that grab bag period tried to like form into something that it's not exactly. I don't know. I think you guys are looking at New Morning and Self-Portrait as being like an opposition to each other. Yes. <laughs> I don't think they are. No, I, I think you're probably you, you've right. Created, but... You've created a polarity with these two records. A that false I dichotomy. Pers- yeah, I don't think exists. I think that they both, I think I, I think of them as companion records, not as like oppositional. Mental it's illness manifests of... in many different ways. And, you <laughs> so, know, I, li- and, I like to do it just to piss off uh, uh, our reply guys. Sure, and really, sure you do. Of, and I think, really, I think of it as a trilogy with Nashville Skyline being the beginning mm-hmm. and Self Portrait in the middle and the New Morning at the end. I think those three records feel like a piece to me in my own mind. What about John uh, Wesley Harding being the first and then Self Portrait and then. Uh... That's, a, I mean, we'll get to that later. To me, that is such a singular. To me, that doesn't fit with the. Because it's got its own vibe. I don't think that that record really fits with anything. Because I don't know. You you listen to uh, down along gotta, the coast. We gotta, we gotta sorry, let that sorry. one sit because that's I don't know that's, if we want to. That's high up wanna, on the list. We okay, gotta, we got to save let's, that. Yeah. Let's keep on rolling along. I 
I could talk for a long time. Uh, yeah, John Wesley Harding is like intense for me. I think we all yeah. agree we'll, about we'll, that. Actually. We'll get to that. We'll get we'll get there. Yeah. So we got uh, we got seventeen uh, rough and rowdy, sixteen slow train, fifteen Nashville, fourteen freewheeling. Wow. Okay. Another uh, grab bag kind of jumping all over the map here. Yeah, I mean, I know people put rough and rowdy in their top ten. I, I heard, I've heard that quite a bit. I don't know where you think we yeah, have yeah. rough and rowdy in our top ten. I think yeah. we do, yeah. which I think is overrating that record a bit. Mm. Uh, which I love that record. To me, that's a little bit of recency bias with rough and rowdy ways. It certainly could be. That's um, our whole point. Is uh, <laughs> <we> <laughs> yeah. having having the recency bias uh, factor. We love to me the, with the latest thing he's done, no matter what. I, I mean, I really like Rough and Rowdy Ways a lot. Um, I mean, I ranked it pretty high, I think. But, uh, you know, to me, um, that record's kind of dominated by Murder Most Foul. Mm-hmm. I think, like, there's lots of other wonderful songs on that record, but, like, that is such a singular achievement mm-hmm. for Dylan. Um and it, in a way, it overshadows the rest of the record for me a little bit. Interesting. Um, you know, I almost with, think of it as like a double, like, I, I think of it the same way that I think of Kaput, like the Destroyer record, uh, where there's like the entire record and then there's Bay of Pigs at the end. Like Rough and Rowdy Ways is Rough and Rowdy Ways, the entire record, one through nine, and then there's Murder Most Foul at the end. And it's almost like a second LP all on its own. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's exactly like that, of, Ian. Yeah. Yeah. But, I, but the difference is, is that, Bay of Pigs still sounds like a Destroyer song. It's just longer. Whereas I think whereas I think Murder Most Foul is genuinely unprecedented in Dylan's catalog. There's no song. Dylan has other long songs, you know, and he has lots of albums that end with long songs. Mm-hmm. But there's no song that he's ever written that's like that. Right. Where and there's really no there's no one that's written a song like that yeah. where really. to me i mean obviously musically it's very unique what blows me away about murder most foul is the mix of um sort of very serious and profound lyrics and just pure silliness mm-hmm. right that gets mixed together which which is song. a recipe for like i guess just like pure, really some poignancy it's like um it, it's a, a song that really reaches every emotional level i think uh, yeah t- absolutely and like it, it it's such it's almost like it almost reminds me of like the david lynch twi- like the the twin peaks the return yeah right. yeah season you three. Know, right it has that kind of vibe to it like where there's just pure darkness and also like total levity and, and they're like in parallel with each other. Yeah, you've other. got the you've got the Dougie and, Jones bits and then you've got the fifty minute zoom uh on on the atomic yeah. bomb. <laughs> and it's very disorienting and uh but it's very appropriate. Uh and it totally works. And like when I listen to that, uh I mean and that's not a just throw it on song no, <laughs> necessarily not. polar opposite. But when I but when I listen to it, I'm always surprised by how riveting it is. You know, like, I, I think I forget each time. I'm like, oh, man, okay. It's always a little intimidating each time I put it on. Like, oh. It doesn't feel like an 18-minute song. But, yeah, once you, but once you're, yeah, once you're sucked in, it's totally riveting. And it feels like it, it goes surprisingly quick 
when you're listening to it and uh um and as much as i like the rest of the record it's like the rest of the record is kind of in the same vein of his other work from the last you were saying years. it's kind of like a tempest i've made up my mind to give myself to you yeah i mean the, i mean they're great I songs but i'm just saying it's pretty good they're, they're great songs but i'm just saying that like he's not reinventing anything with those songs they're mm-hmm. great songs but like murder most foul to me is like the reason the record exists and, and it's totally unique. You know, right. it, it might be cool to just if I mean, what happened was it was released as a single and then the record came out. I feel like that's kind of the best way to enjoy it is like you get Motor Most Foul and then you get like all these other songs that kind of like exist in that uh, sort of mode, like leading up to it. Yeah. Yeah. But but, but yeah, really you're is. right that that is it. It. it it is a uh, the opposite of top heavy, you know that record. In that <laughs> and it's and it's just you know amazing that he did that at this point in his career. Number one yeah, record. I, I, well, but but I'll, but that even without the chart success, I'm just saying. No, that's like, the that only he, important thing, Stephen. <laughs> <laughs> that that he made a song like "Murder Most Foul" at at this point in his career that like is so. Again, I think unprecedented in his career that yep. he like could do that unprecedented uh, in, in anyone's career for that matter yeah that david burns said it was his like favorite bob D- like in that recent uh other piece about you know a lot of big uh rock heads yeah, the stereo gum thing yeah a lot of big rock stars were like talking about their favorite D- bob songs and like oh, like 10 of them were like murder most foul and uh yeah. you know sure david Byrne wrote like a lot about it it's uh it's one of those songs that i think i think it's really going to go down as like one of his achievements i really do believe mm-hmm. that i i think that like when people study his career you know like that to me is like it's as significant to his career now as like desolation Row yeah was well it's so sick that like you know he right. got the nobel prize for literature and then immediately proved why he got that <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I, I'm I'm very intrigued by like, I wonder like when he actually wrote it, you know, or 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 or, or how long he did that. I thought I remember reading around the time it came out that it was a song that he'd been like sitting around for a couple of years or something. Like it, 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 he'd done it a couple of years before the record actually came out, and then it kind of eventually accreted into this ten song package. Like, accreted. I don't, yeah, you know, like a, a Crete. It's a geological. Okay, never mind. Uh, I, I, th- I, yeah, I, I don't really know what the writing and recording process was like for Rough and Rowdy because it seems like it took place over a you know kind of relatively long period of time. And Joanna kind of Newsom on the keys, and another song, and then another. Yeah, just like you know, well, it's, it's, well, it's Fiona Apple. Or no, Benmont, it's not, not Joanna it, Newsom. I always get her in Fiona Apple. It's Fiona, Fiona Apple, Ben Montench, <laughs> and Alan Pasqua, which. It's like there's like three piano players on that song. I don't know if you guys read Ray Padgett's uh, Substack. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He had an interview with Alan Pasqua, who was uh, Dylan's piano player in the 70s. He played on the uh, 78 tour. And he, there's three piano players on Murder Most Foul. And there's like, there's, there's like one on the left, one on the right, one in the middle. Wow. <laughs> and it's, yeah, it's Ben Montench, Fiona Apple, and Alan Pasqua. And they're all just kind of doing their own thing. And it gets blended into one thing. I mean, that's another thing. I mean, you know, the lyrics are one thing, and just like the music there 
it's like yeah there's no melody to that yeah, song. there's yeah but it, it, but but it's like it's totally, still totally arresting well, we could do an it's hour totally on this song but i i yeah, we have I to mean, move on but i yeah i i think we will eventually do a, probably just a whole episode about yeah, we'll, we'll bring you back for two hours on <laughs> yeah exclusively soon. And that'll do it for part one of this extraordinarily deep dive with the great Stephen Hyden. Join us next time as we continue to make our way up his list all the way to number one. Boy, are there a lot of thoughts shared about the basement tapes. Jokerman. The pale moon rose in its glory Out of the western town She told a sad, sad story Of the great ship that went down T'was the 14th day of April Over the way she rode Sailing into tomorrow To a golden age foretold the night was bright with starlight The seas were sharp and clear Moving through the shadows The promised hour was near Lights were holding steady Gliding over the foam All the lords and ladies Heading for the eternal home The chandeliers were swaying From the balustrades above The orchestra was playing the Songs of faded love The watchman he lay dreaming As the ballroom dancers twirled he dreamed that Titanic was sinking. <laughs> <laughs>